We are in Jude, verse 11. We've got three individuals. Uh, our last one is Korah and Korah's Rebellion. We're going to be reviewing that event. Uh, so instead of just saying Korah's Rebellion, it's like what was going on. Uh, a lot of things to learn in the book of Jude. We are at a crucial time, as you know. Uh, history is always at a crucial time, but there's so many things happening right now uh, in the world, but also in the church. I mean, you've seen some things, even this week I saw some things in churches come out that it's like from, from groups uh, uh, that are, you know, should be mainline Christian, the evangelical, it's like, it's almost like the evangelical is like gone. If you, if you, you know, it's like what we used to think of, you know, they're, they're like, they, they've morphed into the culture and no one, no one knows it, which is exactly what Jude is talking about right here. He says, I want to write to you about our common salvation, uh, but I felt I had to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith. I mean, you're losing you're losing your churches. You're losing your faith. It's like, well, yeah, but these are good Christian people. Do they even know Korah's rebellion? Do they even know what numbers is? It's like, what is our foundation? And it's like, once you lose the Word of God, that's what we've been talking about for years, once you lose the Word of God, you're just adrift in culture trying to find out what is our standard. And it's just sometimes just hard work. That's why I use the word contend. It's a word like for athletics, like in the gymnasium, and you're training and wrestling, you're contending for, we're, we're really working awful hard. It's just, it's like, well, yeah, because the world is trying to destroy your thoughts, your, your, your worldview, everything God has created. They're trying to take you a different direction. And uh, here's an example today of, of Korah, uh, and I'll read into this, but we're at a place in our culture for, the, I mean, we've been talking about it for years, but you're starting to see, uh, I mean, people are switching sides. I mean, they, they used to be going this way. It's like it's getting so dark. They're looking for light. They're looking for an answer. And this, this, the sad thing, uh, that's a concerning thing, is if they, if they try to turn to the church, well, are they going to find just another world philosophy that it's going to collapse on them eventually? Or is someone going to be there with the truth, the Word of God? You know, the way is narrow. It, it says broad is the way to destruction, and narrow is the path. And then Eve Jesus even says, you know, many will say in the, that day, you know, I, I, I prophesied, I did these things. I, it's like, I, I never knew you. You were involved in something that you called this religion, this Christianity or whatever. Jesus says, you were, you were so far gone, you didn't even know I wasn't there anymore. And again, that's nothing unique because the New Testament, war, like we talked about before, the New Testament starts warning the false teachers are coming. Then you've got the apostles fighting against the false teachers, Paul writing letters to the Corinthians, the Galatians, and then you've got the churches, at, by the end of the first century, John writing, they've lost the churches. I mean, John is not allowed to come speak in the churches. His, his teachers that he's training are not allowed, in Second, Third John, are not allowed into the churches in the Ephesian area. It's like, no, someone's taken over. So they warned they're coming, they contended with them, and they lost even in the first century. We're 2,000 years later. It's like, well, we're fine. It's like, uh, well, look around. I, I don't think we're fine. And nonetheless, here's a, the book of Jude, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had a right and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints for why do you need to contend for the faith? Because the world's ugly. Well, that's, a, that's one argument, but that's not the argument in this book. Why do we need to contend for the faith? Because right in your church, right here, 
for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality. So that, again, there's two, we've said before, there's two things. They say, oh, well, God loves every, and look at today's story. I, I'm sorry, we're going back to the Old Testament today. And look at God's, this is the same uh, God from the, from the Garden of Eden through Moses coming out of Egypt, through the wilderness, through all of the Old Testament stories, to Jesus coming and until the book of Revelation. It's the same God who's got the same standard. And yes, Jesus has died for our sins. God has made a way of salvation. It's a narrow way. It's through Jesus. It's, we know it's not through works. It's, it's not through good deeds. But it's also not through just being tolerant and non-judgmental. It's like I just put up with everything because I don't want to... I don't want to be offend. I don't want to be one of those offensive Christians. Whoa! Have you read? We're going to read verse chapter sixteen of Numbers. It's like, I mean, we're smoke. God's smoking people. I mean, like it's like crazy. The earth is swallowing people. Why? Because they got off track. It's like can't have that. You're we are saved by grace, meaning it's by grace you are saved. Because if it wasn't, you didn't have that sliver of opportunity through Jesus Christ. These Old Testament stories are us. It's like, well, yeah, but I'm a Christian. I've been born again since 1976. I'm, you know, I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like, okay, what, what, are, you, what are you even saying? I mean, are, do you, are you just mouthing evangelical terms? Or do you have an actual relationship with the living God who's got a very narrow way of opportunity through Jesus Christ that is your salvation? Or are you just in a group that's going to get swallowed up? Well, here we go. Uh, they, they changed the uh, grace of God into a license for sin. Um, and I lost my place. License for, for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And that's what's happening. When you start changing the grace of God into a license for tolerance of everybody's welcome, you have denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we think we're saved through Jesus loves everybody. It's like, no, if, you have, if you've changed his grace, that <laughs> sliver of salvation through faith, there's only one narrow way. No one comes to the Father except through, he says, himself. And you've changed it. Uh, everybody's fine. Everything is fine. Uh, you have denied his message. You've denied his name. You've denied everything he's offered. And you're not just making grace become immorality, but you've denied Jesus Christ. And you're in a category now that you don't even know Christ. And these people don't know it. There's people in their midst that are teaching this. And they're like, we're fine. Uh, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt. He says oh, that very same thing. I know you know this, but I got to remind you, after God delivered his people out of Egypt, he destroyed a bunch of them. Well, we're fine. Okay, I know you know the story. They came out of Egypt, and then they started dying in the wilderness for 40 years because he wasn't happy with it. He brought them deliverance, but they didn't rise to the occasion, and he started destroying them. I, well, Jude, Jude, this is the New Testament. It's like, yeah, I know, I'm writing the New Testament. You, are you paying attention? This is the same God. But later destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their place, position of authority, he abandoned their own positions. Uh, he is kept, kept in darkness, bound in everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion, I got a couple stories I could branch off and tell you that you, but you got your own about not the world, 
Christendom, Christian, Western, what's that? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the story. Good. The Dove Awards. You guys know what the Dove Awards are? are you, you, okay, are you for, okay. So help me out as I stumble through this. I don't know anybody. I mean, I, I stopped listening after, after a, uh, oh, the, what's that? Uh, I don't even remember more. Anyway, the, the Dove Awards, a Christian awards show. And there's a guy, oh gosh, I don't even want, I don't want to say it because it's a judgment. This guy, and I just read the article, so there's a whole ball of background. But anyway, this lead singer left his wife, married another lead singer, fell away from Christ, now has come back, and they're making hits or something, you know, whatever you know, they call that. Uh, and, uh, and he is giving out awards at the Dove Award show. Did he get an award? But he came with another Christian guy who is a cross-dresser, right transgender cross-dresser the guy but he was on they had a song on the radio that hit the charts i mean on a christian radio the song is called boys can be girls am i correct okay and that was it was on christian we're not talking about you know ellis cooper now, now ellis cooper now is a believer you know and he's ellis cooper's like a, a one of the outstanding christians in the world today not the ellis cooper of the 70s but the ellis cooper that has come out of the darkness and uh anyway that's another you know it's like it's a great story uh but nonetheless this guy's a, a and he, he the the lead singer that had come back to christianity handing out awards he himself dressed as a woman so you've got two guys giving out awards, apparently on stage, at the Christian Dove Awards, cross-dressed. As, and one is a cross-dresser, one's just affirming or whatever, and it's like, and that's just the beginning. I saw another thing, uh, a, a, a banner of a, of a, of a, uh, a, 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 a conference uh, produced by Zondervan, who printed my Bible, uh, and the, the four speakers were like right out of the trash heap of society as far as being multicultural, gender studies, all this garbage. It's like, I mean, there's, oh, one was the God hypothesis. No, Jesus hypothesis or something like this. I mean, they're just, they're just, just destroying. And this is not fringe. This is mainstream Western Christianity, which is devastating, which is scary. Which is, if you're in a church and you don't smell it, how, what, what's going on? How dead are you? How dead is your church? Well, we don't, how do you, I don't even want to talk about it now. But how do you stand up against it without them being ostracized by, the, you know, whoever is calling you unchristlike? Well, so that's why I, I just teach the word, trying to, but it's like, we're, we're falling. And, and again, the, the, the society's collapsing. Well, you know all these things. And the Middle East is on fire. And, and uh, there's people coming that take their faith serious. They take their faith, they're willing to lay their life down for their faith, coming to a town near you who don't even want to commit to Jesus Christ without, because you're afraid you're gonna offend somebody. And when that train comes and runs into our little bubble train, right out of Titanic faith, uh, what, what's going to happen? Uh, okay. Jude is trying to help them in the first century. Anyway, um, 
Oh, let me just jump over to where am I at? Okay, verse 11. I got to read verse 11. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, uh, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him. In other words, even the archangel Michael did not even break rank with the word of God. Just stay right here. He just says, the Lord will be, I have no opinion. I have no opinion. I'm not going to get into a debate with Satan. I'm just saying, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. These are the men who speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, spiritual matters, and they're talking. I bought a book. Hawkeye, my son, suggested he saw something, suggested a book to me, so I bought it right away on Amazon. I took it out of the envelope. I sat on the table, and I leafed through it. It's a, it's a, it's a, a thicker book. And I leafed through it and, and found the general consensus of it and went out to the dumpster and tore it up into pieces and, and got rid of it. I mean, it, it was in my house for 25, 30 minutes. But it was, it was attacking early Christianity, calling it pagan, for example, that all Christianity is just pagan religions recycled. But they didn't attack the gospels or the word of god they attacked the church starting about 300 400 500 a.d and oh they picked up all these pagan it's like i've done that i've i've that, i've criticized that it's on it's online it's in 300 400 500 AD. the church began to morph into the culture and they just brought in all the practices of the pagan cultures that's not a that's not an attack on christianity that's an attack jesus if you want to put the seven churches of revelation in a sequential order prophesying church history or periods of church history maybe it's correct maybe it's not but if you do that you end up with jesus christ saying the same rebuking of that age between 300 and 500 600 a.d because they they brought in the uh, the the faults of the pagan world so but they were writing it and it's a bestseller on new york times and it's just christianity just sounds stupid but it's like that's not christianity that's the beginning of the dark ages where the church did embrace the pagan culture, but it's not the word of God. They, they, did, have an, they did have a section there about where they, they attacked the book of John. I don't even want to go into it. But they said someone added, men added the last chapter of John because Jesus' intention was to have Mary Magdalene, who was the one who saw him resurrected, because she was in a... a she was hallucinating because of a drug-induced situation she was in because of the Last Supper wine that was like mixed with mushrooms or something. And, uh, and so she saw this, and she was supposed to be the first pope, but they, the men didn't want it, so they added chapter, I think it was is it 16, the last chapter of John, whatever it is, and they added the last chapter where Jesus comes to Peter and says, uh, do you love me? Feed my, feed my sheep. And then Peter became the first pope. Except Peter didn't become the first pope. That's the Catholics saying Peter. Peter didn't get to Rome until the church was already up and running. Paul didn't get to Rome until the church was already. No one that we know started the church in Rome. Peter went to Rome to die. I mean, so it's like, it, it was garbage. It was garbage. But to the undiscerning that's, well, look at this. The early church, they were doing mushrooms and drinking alcohol and getting stoned, and that's why they could prophesy in tongues. And it ties it into the oracles of Delphi, which we know from Philippians, that's where the python spirit came from, and that's the spirit that Paul cast out of the, the slave woman who was making money for her owners because she could prophesy 
because she would go into the caves and if they were smoking dope or eating mushrooms or just the, the, the gases coming out of the cave itself could put them in a stone state and they could begin to hallucinate and, and see the future or whatever. And so they brought her and she was doing this for people and Paul cast the spirit. She started talking to Paul. Paul casts the python, it says python spirit out of her in the Greek, right out of Delphi. And all of a sudden it's like, well, she can't do it anymore. It's like, she's not just drug abuse, but she's possessed by a spirit. And they got mad at him because now they lost their business. The girl can't prophesy anymore. And that's, Paul got, then got to get put in prison and stuff like that, beat and stuff. But it's like, uh, it's just, right here, right here. It's like, they've, they've snuck in among you and you've let them come in. You haven't confronted them with, this is not what it says. Uh, so they, they, they speak abusively about what they do not understand and the things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them, here we go. They have taken the way of Cain, another, you know, a twist of the religion. They have rushed for profit and Balaam's there. They're going to cash out and make money on this. And uh, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. And that's what we're talking about today, destroyed in Korah's rebellion. And so what is Korah's rebellion? Korah's rebellion is basically, is just summing this up, is God established, now this is, you got to be careful again, God established authority. Now, this is again, I walk a thin line here because by the very things I'm saying, I'm criticizing and have been for a while certain places of authority in the Western church. So I am against authority. Uh, and I've thought about that. It's, it, it bothers me. But uh, it's like, but there's a time, like Judah saying, contend, you're going to have to. He says there's leaders among you who are misleading you. They're turning the grace of God into a license for sin. Right, right, but we're a Christian and we're not going to rebel against the authority. Oh, that's that's that, that, that discerning part. When do you rebel against Satan and say, I'm not going to do that? And when do you say, I'm going to follow God's authority? And when they get mixed together, how do you discern? Uh, I, I bailed out about 20, 20, 30 years ago and basically went with the written word of god it's like i'd gone through all i'd gone through the the social gospel in the 70s i'd gone through the the charismatic word of the jesus people the tongue talkers the word of faith movement all that stuff and there there's the authority was uh in 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 the in the political or in the culture or the authority was in the gift the gifted leader, whoever that was, the, the person that was anointed of God. Was, how do you know if they're anointed? If they can make you fall down when they're talking or whatever it well, you know, they're like, or if they get, you know, drug-induced appearing themselves, they're all starry-eyed, you know, it's like, oh, it's like, well, all of a sudden that's going crazy. This is not working. And so it's like, I, I don't know how to discern. I can't just look you in the eye and say, uh, there's a man of God, there's a woman of God. So it's like, I'm just going to go with the word. Done here, done here. I'm just going to start teaching the Word of God. Guess who got mad? The churches. You don't know how many churches. It's like I'm in churches, either a pastor or a teacher. It's kind of like, we're going to have to ask you to leave. It's like, 
because it, 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 no one's really interested in this. I've had people, no one's in. <laughs> I had a mega church take my notes on apologetics. Why? Do, and, and I was teaching, guess, a group of people called, uh, it was the college age group. It was, I was teaching the college age. It was like, you know, 18 to 25 year olds. One of the problems is the 35 and 40 year olds were skipping their class and coming to my class. And it's like, that didn't look good. Uh, but I was teaching apologetics. How do we know that there is a God? How, how do we know the Bible is true? Not just while I feel it, but it's like, is there, is there scientific evidence? Is there archaeological evidence? Is there linguistic I- information? How about, what can we, it's like, and, I was, and they go, what, what they, are you teaching this? And I was like, yeah, it's just foundational. Just like, how do we know, you know, fact. We, we want you to teach something different. And they wanted me to teach something more emotional, something more, and it's like, and, and that's just, I could, tell you, I could tell you many stories. But at that point, it's like, I'm rebelling against this authority and going with this authority. So as we approach this story, you know, I read stories like this, and I, I feel like, I look over my shoulder, have I been making mistakes? But I look over my shoulder here, it's like, I'm going to stay with the God established, the thing that God has established. What has God instituted? And you can go back and say, well, we're going to go back to the church traditions. You mean back to the 1500s when the Protestant Reformation, they started singing and, and sitting in pews and turning into a lecture hall? Or, well, that's not the early church. That's what they did in rebellion towards the Catholic Church. Well, now the Catholic Church, well, I just talked about the Catholic Church and how in the three, four, five hundred AD, they just began to just absorb culture just to keep things growing. They took the, I I can't go into it, but they did. So it's like, if you follow that, well, they have good church traditions. Yeah, but how about we go back even further? How about we go back to what Jesus and the apostles, the founding of the church, what they said, what they wrote down. Well, we don't even know. We don't even know if it's really the word of God. Things have changed so much. Oh, okay, okay. Now, you don't have a word of God. You don't have a Bible. You're just going to go to the Dove Awards and see they say the Dove Awards this year. And that, it's like, what are you going to use? I'm going back to the word, and starting there is what God has established. Okay, so Korah. Here we go. Here we go. We got notes. First of all, Kor, they come out of Egypt. Boy, oh boy. 14, uh, let's say 40, right around 1440 BC. Uh, you can argue about that if you want to. There's different times on that. And eventually we'll kind of condense that. But they're going to come out of Egypt after the plagues. They're going to go into the wilderness. They're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. When they get into the wilderness, of course, right away, God is going to establish for them their religion. They're they're, uh, they get the Ten Commandments. They have the law written down. It's how they're going to operate on three, three levels. It's going to be social. It's going to be religious. And it's going to be moral. And so in the social or the legal sense right here, what are your laws? What are the speed limits? You know, what do you pay for taxes? It's not right or wrong. It's this is what we're going to do. These things will change depending on your culture. You can change the, the so because you know like the speed limit why put another lane in you can change the speed limit these are not eternal there's another part that would be the religious that is how they would communicate with god with the priesthood with the the tabernacle with the sacrifices that was the institution they had established that was in a sense 
foreshadowing. That was God demonstrating to them his holiness, their unworthiness. It's, oh, well, that's judgmental. Because God is holy and man is unworthy. Man is a sinner, uh, I believe, in total depravity. It's like they need, they need a sacrifice. And so this was teaching them right here. And basically it was foreshadowing what we would say in a, in a nutshell. It was foreshadowing the work of Jesus Christ. You can go through and read Leviticus and basically you're just reading through the plan of salvation. All the, all the words like redemption, salvation, restoration. It's all fellowship. It's all foreshadowed in that. That is a teaching lesson. It's going to be absolute, but it's pointing towards Jesus Christ. I think the Word of God today points towards Jesus Christ. Then there's going to be the moral. And some of these moral things are going to be absolute. These are not going to change. These are the institutions God has established. So some of these things are, are temporal as their society. Some of them are uh, the religious that's going to be leading to something else that's going to eventually give way to the new covenant. But some of the things are going to be absolute. They're going to be true then. They're going to be true forever. It's God's nature. You cannot change God's nature. The same God that was in the tabernacle of glory showed up as a baby in the manger, grew up, died on the cross for our sins. Okay, so that is what they've got right there. And in the process of doing that, they're going to establish, if you look very quickly, go to page 3. And I've got some pictures here. There you have it. Oh, this is perfect. That worked out well. There's the tabernacle, okay? Well, again, we could spend, I, I've taught like a week-long series on this. Uh, but nonetheless, these are, this is the, the, the tabernacle. God dwelled right back here in the Ark of the Covenant. God gave all these dimensions to Moses. He builds Ark of the Covenant. It, it's about this big. It's got cherubim coming up. It's all made out of gold. It's got the mercy seat on it. And God's presence dwelt there. That's the, the Shekinah glory that was coming out of there. He leaves, it goes into the temple. You see the day it comes into the tabernacle. You see the day it comes into, or he comes into Solomon's temple. Ezekiel records the day he leaves Solomon's temple. And he, he, you never see him come back after he leaves Solomon's temple. They come back from captivity, but you never see him enter Zerubbabel's temple. So that's another story. But nonetheless, he's there. He will talk to Moses, will approach the entrance of the tent and god will talk to him in fact numbers begins if i get here very quickly boy this is right here chapter one verse one the lord spoke to moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of sinai on the first day of the second month on the second year after israel came out of egypt he says take a censor of take a census of a whole israelite community so he would moses would stand here and the bible says the shekinah glory would talk to him we would say God talked to him. God became a man as Jesus, the Son of God. This is the Son of Man talking to Moses from the tabernacle. I mean, you can slice and dice it how you want to, but that is the, the person that is Jesus, the deity that is God, the creator, created the invisible and the visible, is there talking to Moses. In the Well, that doesn't sound like my Jesus. Right, because you've been in a Western church your entire life. You haven't read the Bible. You've been listening to, who knows what you've been listening to. They're giving out Dove Awards this week. So, I mean, go ahead. So, this is, this is the one who's speaking, and Moses is writing these things down. So, now we're establishing something solid. What he says, and you come, ah, I don't think that's true. I think we're going to do it a different way. You are rebelling against authority. 
Now, again, Moses had his own issues. Again, we're not, there's nobody perfect outside that tabernacle. Moses is going to get in trouble. Aaron's going to get in trouble. Aaron's oldest two kids are going to die because they burnt the wrong incense in there. They're going to drop dead. What did they do wrong? They bought their incense at Walmart. I told them to make it like this. You put this in there, this, and this, and this, make it just like this. What is this stuff? We picked it up here at this uh, little gift shop. It, I think we kind of like cast a little vanilla flavor to it. It's like, and they, and, and he says, God says, Aaron, come get your sons, drag them out. And he said, if you start mourning, I'm going to kill you too. In other words, there's no crying in the tabernacle. I killed them because they brought the wrong incense in here. Abinadab and Abihu were their names. They take, he says, drag them out. No funeral, no burial. Put them in the dump. They're worthless. Oh, if Jesus had heard that, what would, that's who said it. I say, this is the God you're, this is the God you're talking about, double words, transgender, all, these, all this crap. And it's like, we'll be fine. You've changed the grace of God into a license for sin. The very fact that he hasn't done something yet, meaning he's, well, Peter tells you, he's patient. He's waiting. Because when he decides, okay, we're done, well, just read Revelation. This guy's going to come out of the tabernacle and into our space physically okay anyway they'd burn incense right here lampstand right here table of showbread they put change the bread and the wine there this is where they'd make the offering right out here the burnt offerings and this is where they would wash the utensils and do different things out here this is the outer court now only the high priest could go in here once a year if he went in there a couple times a year uh there's a tradition and it's not true that i can tell that they have to tie a rope on his leg in case he did something wrong and then he'd have to die and they'd have to drag his body out. That's, that's something that people have said I've never heard. Anyway, I've, tr- I've looked for it. It's nowhere. But people say it. But that would be a true situation. Uh, out here, they would do daily rituals where they come in, they'd burn incense out here. They'd have to stay behind this veil and burn incense. And the fragrance of the incense would then permeate and the Lord would be able to smell the incense. It was a type of prayer. That's what Zachariah was doing when the angel Gabriel came to him and told him about his son, John the Baptist. He was standing right here doing his, and then the angel came and talked to him, and then he got mouthy with the angel. He says, how do I know this is true? And he's like, whoa. He says, okay, because you won't be able to talk from now until the baby's born. And then he walked out, and no one knew what happened. But anyway, going on. Okay, out here, this is where the priests would minister all the time sacrifices poured out offerings it's it's a long long rich i don't even understand all the things they would do but there's a, a big list of things daily sacrifices festival sacrifices uh and the levites would come around here and help now uh no one could come into this court except the worshiper that would be worshiping the priest that would be working uh eventually there's gonna be a women's court and everything in the tabernacle now on this page let's go ahead and move one more okay see if i can do this boom there you have the breakdown abraham isaac jacob jacob has 12 sons one of them is levi we're not going to talk about the other sons levi one of jacob's sons is going to have three sons gershom kohath and marari okay uh there are going to be three sons that are born to levi uh in egypt when times are good, you know, Joseph's still alive, Joseph's the advisor. These are good days when these guys are living. But eventually, they're going to have children, and the, Pharaoh's going to forget about Joseph, and they're going to go into captivity. And then we're getting into slavery down here. So like, 
Amram, these guys are going to know slavery. Now, Kohath is going to have one, two, three, four sons. Don't worry about this son. He's going to have these sons. But that's going to be a descendant of Kohath. Kohath is one of Levi's sons. Kohath is going to have this son. He's going to have three sons. Korah, key for our story, this guy and this guy. Kohath is also going to have a son named Amram, who's going to have a son named Moses, who they're killing babies by that time, so they put him in the, you know the story, put him in the water. But he's also going to have a son, an older son, Aaron, and an older daughter, Miriam. Aaron and Miriam are alive when Moses is born, and he floats down the river, and they're, they're, they're safe. So what's going to happen is the Levites are going to be chosen to be the Levites. And the Levites are going to serve in certain capacities. The family of Gershon is going to be in charge of the curtains. You see all the tabernacle curtains. When they have to pick it up and move it, they'd, they'd fold them all up, they'd roll them up, they'd put them in package, get U-Hauls, and they'd carry them to the next location. These were Levites. Kohath, they're in charge of the furniture. They'd come in very carefully. They'd cover up the Ark of the Covenant with a, with a, with a cloth. It's purple, gold, it's all sewn together. Have poles so they didn't touch it. Have poles, and they'd carry it out. They'd cover up the golden lampstand, and they'd carry all the furniture out. And then Merari, his family, they'd come in, and they'd, they'd take all the poles down, all the tent poles that were holding up the tent. They'd pull up all the poles, stack them up, put them on bungee cords, and, and take them off. It's like the fair coming to town, the circus coming to town. It really was. And they do, that's what their jobs were. They were Levites. They were separated from the other tribes. So Kohath, his family, his son, and these guys are in charge of the furniture. These guys get to go in and move the furniture. They would get to carry the Ark of the Covenant after it was covered up. Okay. Over here in Amram, this, these guys are brothers. This brother and these guys are going to carry the furniture. But over here, Amram's son, Aaron, is going to get the priesthood. He's going to be the priest that's going to go and appear before God. Moses is unique. He's a prophet. There's no one like Moses except Moses says there'll be someone like me at the end that when he comes, you've got to obey him. If you don't, there's no hope for you. In other words, he's going, Moses is going to establish the covenant, get the thing started, and when Moses is dead, there's no one like Moses because this is up and running. I just established it. But he says there will be a prophet like me come. When he comes, listen to him. Because he's going to override everything Moses did and give them a new covenant. And if you miss that, there's no hope for you. Okay, so that's where we're at. Does that make sense so far? This is going a lot slower than I thought. These guys are going to have to have a place to stay. So now go to, again, this is in the Bible. Go to page one. This is just so you can see it. I'm in chapter 1 of Numbers on the first page. These are the 12 tribes of, of, uh, of Jacob. Levi is not on that list. So there's only 11 there because two of them, Ephraim and Manasseh, are Joseph split in two. Those are Joseph's two sons. At this first census that is taken when they enter the wilderness, the tribe of Reuben had 46,000, Simeon had 59,000, Gad had 45,000 in their tribe. And then it goes all the way down. You can see all those names right there. Just for your own entertainment pleasure, I put beside it on the right column the second census that is taken about 40 years later. Reuben, they lost. They're down 2,700 people. 
Simeon's down 37,000 people. And Gad lost 5,000 people in the wilderness. Isn't the Lord good? Yeah, just die in the wilderness. Yeah, I don't need you. Uh, Judah gained 1,900. And you can see that the second census, those numbers are there. Manasseh really took a jump, 25,000 increase, if I did my math right there. Okay, but nonetheless, there's basically six, 600,000 people coming out right there. Do you see that numbers right there? Now, those guys all got to camp somewhere, and that's what this is right here. Notice right here, that first group, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, Reuben, Simeon, and Gad are right here. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad, they camped right here. The, the tabernacle, see right there the tabernacle, the altar, that's the curtain going around. No one can go in there except the priest or the worshiper that is being served. Moses and Aaron are staying right out here at the front of the gate, right here. Aaron and the priest and Moses. The other three Levitical families, or the three Levitical families, one stay on this side, one stay on this side, this side. And the reason they're doing that is so no one dies. They're the Levites. You guard this place. Don't let anyone wander up. Don't let any kid just wander up there and touch the fence or something. They're, they're guarding it. The Levites eventually become the, the security guard, the, the detail, security detail in the tabernacle. They were warriors. I mean, they were good with knives because they cut up flesh all day. They cut up sacrifices all day. So they, when they put someone by the guard, the gate to guard you, someone that was trying to rush the, the temple or have a problem, there's not any trouble for them to cut them up because that's, I'm a butcher. I cut meat all day and you're made out of meat. I'll just cut you up. And so they were the, the very militant protection. They weren't like, you know, pastors and priests, you know, all like, you know, soft and jiggly. They're like warriors that were protecting the, uh, the sanctuary. So they're camping there. But Reuben, you can see right there. And then you're going to have Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun over here. Interesting, Judah, the tribe of the Messiah, the king, is right there by Moses already. Dan, Asher, and Nathali. And these are the numbers. The numbers are different if you add them all together. It, it, it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. I'm not sure how big of a deal it is. But if you take that right there and you take that shape, and if, the, when they, if you flew over that, your your camp would look, this is the longest part. These sides were equal parts. This is the shortest part right there. It gives the impression of a cross if you fly over. So when Balak and Balaam are looking down and cursing these people, they're looking down at this Shekinah glory, the smoke coming out, the protection going around there, and the shape of a cross, and they're trying to curse it. <laughs> God says, you can't do that. It ain't going to work. And so anyway, that's, that's that story. Okay, so that's those places right there. Okay. Oh. What else we got here? Anything coming up real quickly on this? What's next? Yeah, that's next. Okay. Now, go to chapter 16. There's two stories here. There's a story about Korah, and Korah is one of the Levites. And he, there's a lot of people out here. There's thousands of people out here. And Moses is pretty much like, if we read the Bible and we understand God chose Moses. Thank God for Moses. But these people are like, who does he think he is? I mean, we're out here in the wilderness, and, and we're, the promised land is right there. That's what he promises. In his campaign, he says, I'll take you to the promised land. Well, the promised land is right there, and we want to go. I know we tried one time, and he told us not to. A bunch of guys died. But uh, he says, we got to go this way. And we're going to go all the way around to the other side. It's like, this is not what you promised when we voted for you. Okay, well, you didn't vote for Moses. God appointed Moses. And then, they, well, here we go. So there, there's a bunch of people ticked off at the authority 
of Moses and the priests that God has established. Moses is so, I mean, he is such a better man than myself. I'd be calling fire down all day long. Moses, when someone gets mad at him, he falls down on the ground and begins to beg God not to smoke him. It's like, oh, they don't understand, they don't understand. It's like, I'd be like, you got this? I'll just take him up. See, don't mess with me. But he'd be like, don't say that. Oh, please, God. And even Aaron, they'd like, they hear something bad. It's like, Aaron, get the incense burner. And they get in and start running around people with incense. It's like, God, don't, don't, don't smoke them, save them. And they're, they're actually acting like priests and intercessors for the people that are in rebellion towards them. But Aaron and Moses realize they're not in rebellion towards me. You're in rebellion towards the Lord because the Lord put me here and I'm just doing what he says and I get in trouble when I don't listen. And you're going to get, please don't do this thing. He doesn't take any of this personal. He goes, he says, he doesn't say, you're rebelling against my authority. He says, oh, you're rebelling against the Lord. Now, again, that's kind of an arrogant thing to say, but at the same time, he, he's not being arrogant. He's, he's being realistic. Chapter 16, Korah, son of Ishar, you understand that, we saw the chart, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan, or Nate, Dathan and Abiram. Now, notice right here, Korah lives right here. He's a Levite protecting the tabernacle. He carries the furniture. Reuben is right here, and Dathan and Abiram are from this tribe right here. This is why it's important who your, sid, your kids sit next to in school. You see? Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And they're looking right here at Moses, who's living right here. It's like Moses just walks in and out of the tent whenever he wants to. He, he goes over the tent, and God he's like writing stuff down. Then he has an assembly, tells us all these things we're supposed to do. It's like, ah, oh, what's this one guy? Look at all us. We got thousands of people. Your, your, your dad and his dad are brothers. I mean, he's your cousin. And he comes in next to you. He's like, God told me to tell you. It's like, I ain't going to listen to you. So he guys inside with Reuben and Nathan and Byron. It's like, this is two situations that are combined in one chapter. Okay. And on, as also mentioned, son of Pelath became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, who had been appointed members of the council. So these are people that have been appointed by Moses, formed a council, and they're his advisors, and they help him rule and make decisions. 250 of them decided, we're not going to vote for Moses for the Speaker of the House. We're going to vote for Korah as Speaker of the House. It's like, all right. And so now these 250 people in Korah are up like saying, now we're going to start doing it our way. It's like Moses is like, you can't just switch. You can't just do it your way. This is what God is. I, it wasn't my idea. You think I thought of all this? When Moses heard this, watch see verse 4. When Galen heard this, he called fire out of heaven and smoked them. Wait, but it doesn't say Galen. It says, and Moses heard this. He fell face down. Then he said to Korah and his followers, in the morning, the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. In other words, he falls down and begins interceding. God again says, okay, he says, they want to be priests? You won't have to make a decision, Moses. Or Moses. He says, Moses says, okay, he falls down in front. Of course, says, you've gone too far. Moses falls down, says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, you get to go into the 
Act like a priest. You and your 250 buddies, you get to go inside. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put fire in the in, and incense in them before the Lord. Now, the last two guys, Abinadab and Abihu, Aaron's two oldest sons, they were priests. They could burn incense in the tabernacle, but they went in as priests, went in with their incense burners. They're at the right place doing the right thing, but they brought the cheap Walmart incense. And when they burned it, <laughs> God killed them and says, drag them out. Moses says, and the, that was a long time ago. That was in chapter 3. I mean, that was like, this is still early on. So, I mean, it's not like that's like a distant memory, like it happened back in days of Adam or something. It happened like they maybe helped carry the bodies out. Now they're, gonna, they're wanting to go in. And Moses says, well, I can arrange that. Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelites? If you look at this chart right here of all the senses, one of the senses it says right here, God says, don't count the Levites. They're not part of your nation. They're mine. They work for me. This is your nation. The Levites work here. Korah is not one of the nation, part of the nation in that sense. He's part of the Levitical tribe. His concern is the tabernacle. But he looks at the Moses and says, but I want to be Moses. And there's 250 men also want to be Moses. Moses said to Korah, listen now, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near him, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. So he's trying to get the priesthood like Aaron. There's Aaron and his sons are the priest. Korah is a Levite. When then Moses summoned Nathan and Abiram from the tribe of Reuben, sons of Elab. But they says, we will not come. Moses talked to Korah. Then he says, you two guys, come over here. I want to talk to you. No, we're not going to come over there. Um, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? We were in a land flowing with milk and honey, and you says you've got better milk and honey, and now we're in the desert. Is it, you're, you're, you're such a bad leader. We're out here in the wilderness. We're not going to, now, you told us to come out here. We did, and now look at us. We're not going to come there again. We're done listening to you, Moses. Moreover, you haven't brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey or given us the inheritance or the fields, the vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. Now, gouge out the eyes of these men doesn't mean no one's going to gouge them out. That's like saying pull the wool over their eyes. It's saying you're going to blind these men with your... You want us to come over here and you're going to give us some political speech and pull the wool over our eyes again and we'll vote for you again. No, you're not going to bind our eyes again. We're not coming over there. We're done listening to your political speeches, Moses. There's a land flowing with milk and honey. I will take you to this land. You'll have your vineyards. You'll have your fields. You'll have your homes. We're going to follow the Lord. And now we're out here. No, we're done listening to the speeches. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. I have not taken as much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Now, you understand clearly why they're still stuck in the wilderness. Because they rebelled against God. I mean, they're still here. As you know, the spies went, says they couldn't do it. You know, okay. Moses said to Korah, you and your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow. 
you uh, and they are, and Aaron, each man is to take his censer. Now there's two stories gone right here. We just got to talk about Nathan and Byron. Now we're going back to Korah. Each man is to take a censer, put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each man took his censer, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So that would be this one. Okay, that's, we got two situations going here. Nathan and Abiram in their tents, and Korah and his men right here. And this is now the tabernacle. The next day, these 250 men are going to come in here in the court, and they're going to burn, stand at the entrance of the tent where God talks to Moses, and only the priests can go. The Levites are going to come over there and start burning incense. So that's, that's set, getting set up. When, uh, verse 19, when Korah had gathered all of his followers in opposition to them at the entrance of the tent of the meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Moses and Aaron, get out of the sanctuary. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O oh God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with this entire assembly when only one man sins? They're just following Korah. It's just one man. These guys are in here because they, they listened to the wrong political speech. They got twisted instead of following me and the word of God. They're following Korah and his rebellion against the word of God. And now Korah's not even in here. Korah's not even in here. It's his 250 men that are in here going, yeah, let's do it. Korah's not there. We're going to find that out. So Moses, is not, he says, kill Korah, if he, I paraphrase, get rid of Korah, not his stupid followers. God says, no, I'm not, no. Now that's not going to happen yet. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So you got this situation happening here. And now he says, let them stand there for a while. He says, tell them to move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. So tell the people, because everybody's every, it's got a big crowd. There's people following. It's like, yeah, they got, you know, free Do Korah signs, you know, or whatever. It's like, and all these things, you know, and we're all the people of God. Everyone is holy, and all these false doctrines. And got, tell the people to get away from this area here. Now, again, there's guys in here, yeah, in the tabernacle. Uh, Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the, so the elders would be supporting him apparently. There's still a group that's supporting him. He's not like a, a, a lone soldier. Uh, he warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Their tents, that's where they're camped. Do not touch anything belonging to them or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah. See, Korah's still with his tent. Dathan and Abiram. Um, they uh, moved away. Okay. Uh, with their wives, okay. Then, verse 28, then Moses says, this is how, this is, this is how you'll know. He's, this is the test. He says, if, uh, this is how you'll know, that the Lord has sent me, that, that I am following the Lord, to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. I'm just following, in his case, just following the word of the Lord spoken to me at the tabernacle. This is not my idea. I'm just doing what he told me to do, saying what he told me to say. So it, you'll know. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. If these men all grow old, live happy lives, uh, and die just like all man dies, it's like, then I'm wrong. This is a tight test. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, 
something totally unique. Let's just say something you've never seen before happens like now. And say the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them. And they go down alive into the grave or Sheol. They don't die and go to Sheol. They go down to Sheol alive and die down there. Then you'll know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. Not treated me with contempt, but they've treated the Lord and the word that he's spoken to me with contempt. He said, now if they die natural, then it's like, then I, God hasn't sent me. There, there should be. But if all of a sudden something happens, the earth swallows them up and they die getting swallowed up in the earth, then they've, uh, they've come against God. They are in rebellion towards God. They are committing the sin that Jude is saying the people of his churches were committing. They are following the rebellion uh, of Korah. They're seeking the gain of uh, Balaam. Uh, and, verse, I mean, we, and then here's the drama. There's no drama. Verse 31, as soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed them, and their households, and all Korah's men, and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, the earth is going to swallow us up too. The earth is going to swallow us up too. Oh, we're all going to die. And they, no, they're not. Uh, and fire, now here, that happened. Meanwhile, you still got the guys. Let's see if I can do this. Which way? There they are. That happens just outside the tent here. Then all of a sudden, while these guys are in there probably singing a song, probably one, you know, one of the Dove Award songs, they're singing the songs there. They're, they're burning the incense. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Elias, the son of Aaron, oh no, excuse me, verse 35. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. These guys, this was just a burnt spot. And God tells Aaron, okay, it, uh, someone's got to drag those bodies out. But all those censers that they were using, uh, that was, that's mine now. That, that became holy because they brought them into my sanctuary. Uh, hammer them together and make a covering for the, uh, what's it say? Tell Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest, to take the censers out of the smoldering remains of the bodies and scatter the coals some distance away from the censers, for the censers are holy. The censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives hammer the censers into sheets of, to overlay the altar. Yeah, to overlay this altar, the burnt offering, uh, so that it's going to be a reminder that what's that covering for? Uh, that's the, all, the, senses, the, uh, the, the incense uh, censers. Uh, that were used there now a couple things right here uh in your notes i've got it written down on one of these pages you can see at, when they take the second census we don't have time to go into this but go to page five and then go to page four uh page four i've got numbers 26 verse 9 written down this is after the second census like some you know 38 years later or whatever they take another census. The sons of Eliab were Numal, Dathan, and Abiram. Those are Dathan and Abiram's chosen from the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron, the company of Korah. When they contended against the Lord and the earth opens his mouth and swallowed them up with Korah. Then the company died when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a warning. But the sons of Korah did not die. So Nathan and Abiram, those guys all died. Korah wasn't here. He was in his tent with the, his fellow rebels. These 250 guys were misled by Korah and followed bad doctrine and were consumed. 
Korah was swallowed up, but the, the false doctrine still in fact. That's what Jude is upset about. Their secret men have corrupted. They're teaching you a license, the grace is a license to sin. You're right here. You're right here standing in the presence of God, but we're saved by grace. And they're going to say, the whole congregation is holy. And God, it says, you will be a holy nation for me. But they twisted that, that we're all holy. We can all be priests. It's like, no, it's pretty clear. Aaron's the priest. He can only go in here once a year. You can't just waltz in here. But you said we're all holy. You're a holy nation. I've chosen you out, but you all can't just do whatever you want to. And so they followed the bad teaching of Korah and were consumed. Korah gets swallowed up. But it says, but the sons of Korah did not die. And you know this already probably, but at the bottom of page five, this is one of the coolest things in Scripture. They label... They're Levites, so they are not only militant, but they also are singers. They're performers. They, they sing psalms. They sing in the tabernacle. They sing in the temple. So the, they write. They're writers. They're skilled Levites. They're the literate group. If there's a literate group, these are them. All these psalms, 42, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 84, 85, 87, and 88, are all psalms that when it says about a psalm of David, a psalm of you know Elab, a psalm of sons of Korah. These are the psalms written by Korah's sons that saw their dad. It's like, we ain't going in there because we ain't supposed to, and we're going to step away from the tent because something strange is about to happen. And they separated from their father, the false teacher, and they were spared. And so there's their psalms. And they they are proud to be known as the sons of Korah, but they also couldn't help it because that's their genetics. And here's a famous verse you know. They wrote it. Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. For example, a day getting to go in there and pick up the Ark of the Covenant and carry it to the next location is better than a thousand days anywhere else. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked forever. What do you mean the tent? What do you mean the tent? These tents right here. I'd rather be a door. I'll just stand here and do my job and make sure I'm guarding the, the gates of the temple, then dwell in these tents and say, I want to be something more than God called me to be. They wrote that right there in the Psalms, and that's got a huge historical backing on it. Anyway, that is Jude 11, Korah's Rebellion, and these people that are misleading the church that Jews are writing to are following the way of Cain, which is they've got their own religion. They're going after the greed of Balaam, using the system for profit, trying to be a, a leader and teach the things of God, but also I can make money on the side. And then there's Korah's Rebellion who just completely throws out God's word and replaces it with their own philosophy. We're going to do it. That's not the way we do church. We do church like this. You don't get to pick and choose. You've got to follow. These guys had to follow this, this sequence. We have, if you want, if you want to know, are, who, am I, who am I rebelling against? Am I rebelling Follow this. This is the word of God. And Jude is telling you in this book, contend for the faith. It's an athletic term. In, in, the, in the gymnasiums, they would wrestle. And he says, wrestle for this. It's like, well, I don't want to be contentious. Well, then you're being rebellious because Jude tells you, Jesus' brother tells you, you're going to have to fight for this. Otherwise, you're going to end up, well, in the Western church. I'll pray and we are finished for today father we do thank you for the truth we thank you for the chance to look into these things we ask that we would examine our hearts before we start leading others that we would look into your word that we would be following you and not be misleading like Korah was 
But Father, we also ask that we would be able to share the truth and be able to stand up and contend for the faith and save it for the next generation before it's completely consumed by this age. Father, we do know that you are in control of history, working your plan, and we stand confident knowing that you will have the victory and we will be part of it. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Thank you for being here.